0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Nyasha Musa Grace, the Natural Hair Podcast. I'm your host Nyasha. Nana is not here today, however, I do have another co-host with me in the studio today. Thanks to technology, we're not in the same space, but we're on the same show. I'm going to allow her to introduce herself so we can get to meet her. Hello co-host, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well hello listeners, Um, my name is Mufaro and I am a law student in South Africa at the University of Pretoria and I am here today and I'm so honoured to be joining this podcast um, to just talk about my experiences with my natural hair and my natural hair journey.
0: Oh that's nice, it's lovely for you to join us especially as we have been over the last two episodes, the two episodes we did before, this is the third installation of that, we're just looking at the Afro as a hairstyle and a history of the Afro, so if you haven't listened to those episodes, go back and listen to to episode 14, episode 15, and today we're recording episode 16, and we're going to be looking at the millennial experience of Afro hair, of the Afro hairstyle, um in okay. the context of of young African women today. Yes. Right. So and I,
1: uh-huh. and I think it's a very interesting topic. Um, it is something, it is a conversation that has to be had um looking at where we are in in this day and age and um, being in a modern era where the Afro has changed in its um, perception in the way people wear their hair and the like, so yes,
0: okay. yeah, go on, tell us, tell us what your experiences are of this, because what happens is a lot of times we read things in the media or we see things, and they are talking about natural hair or black women. Those voices tend to be American voices, and and the the black American experience of blackness is, is very different than an African experience of being black where mm-hmm. if you're in Africa you're the majority you're not a minority exactly. um, and so when people talk about black hair and what black women should know and what if you read a lot mm. of those articles they bear no relationship whatsoever to the reality of of black people <laughs> and yet <laughs> they seem to be yes. they seem to be this really loud voice that can speak on behalf of all yeah. black women and nobody can nobody can rightfully and truly speak on behalf of an entire um an entire representation of people because there are many different experiences of it so today you're just you are going to tell us your experience of mm-hmm. being a young millennial born and raised (laughs) studying in Africa but then also with an accessibility to the rest of the world that maybe say generations before yours didn't quite have to the extent which you guys have because you can be live streaming um, Mm -hmm. an event as it happens on a different continent you can be a part of that event live, you can be a part of somebody's um, expressions of a culture live and yes be there but also be so removed from it
1: what's Mm -hmm. your
0: take on that
1: okay so there's a lot to unpack there and i'm going to start with um just by giving a brief story of my journey Mm -hmm. um and of of me keeping my hair the way it is and me accepting who I am in that journey and um, I remember being when I was a young girl um, I think I was about five or six and I remember my mom doing my hair and it was exhausting it was such a long process it was painful it was sore I did not understand why this comb had to go through my hair and it it was just painful Mm. Anyway, um, and I I did not understand, you know, the whole process. And I got to a point where when I was in grade seven um in primary school, um, we were preparing for our leavers dance. And I said, you know what, I want to have a nice um weave. And I did not want um, the weaves like a full um, on weave. I wanted to have my hair in the front so it would look more, you know, natural. And so the only way um, to achieve that was to um, relax my hair. And I remember just saying, "Okay, I'm going to go for it. We're going to do this. And
0: two years would be like, so that's yes seven bearing in mind our listeners are in different places so you would have been yes. about 11 12
1: yes 11 yeah I was 12 okay at that time and um, I remember just without thinking just going into this whole um, world of yes let's do let's relax the hair let's do it and that was influenced by what I was seeing around me at that time a lot of girls my age were getting their hair relaxed, and it was something that was socially acceptable. You were cool if you had if you wore your hair straighter, if your hair wasn't less curlier and um it was a trend and i said i want to i want to jump onto that trend and so i I went on to put chemicals in my hair and relaxed it and for those that relax their hair you have it's a it's a continual process you have to continue. I'm treating it. You can't just leave it out to grow because then the hair that comes out is coarser, it's hard, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> speaking, yeah. from, expe- speaking right. from experience. Right. yeah.
0: But you go so, from having straight hair to having this hair at the bottom that's kind of not straight yeah. anymore. Yes, hmm.
1: yes. And when I look back at it, my hair, my natural hair before I relaxed it was very it was soft. I mean, it wasn't, I I wouldn't say it was hard to comb. It was very soft. Mm. And so what came after, you know, months of not relaxing was coarser, um, kinky hair. Mm. And um, I remember after, after my first um, treatment, um, my mom was like, why did you do that? You know, she was surprised. So how
0: come your mom was surprised? So, Was she not a part of this? You're relaxing your... Who did you have that conversation? How did that come about?
1: So what happened was... What happened was... (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) um, (laughs) An aunt of mine who is a a hairdresser, um, well, we had this conversation together and we came to a consensus Mm -hmm. um, to say, okay, we're going for this. We're going to relax the hair and we're going to have this weave that is going to... Um, I have my hair in the front and so when we I'm not I'm not I, I'm not sure of what transpired in terms of whether I asked my mom I don't remember it was such a long time but what I do remember is that when I did the deed or well, when I when I relaxed my hair she was like what did you just do to your hair and I mean it wasn't like I didn't get into trouble for it she was just like Hey uh like what's going on? Mm. And I just said, No, I wanted to do this, so you know, well, it happened, and now it was her problem now afterwards to continue the treatment <laughs> because um she has done my hair for so so for, for for a very long time, and at that time she then had she then had this responsibility to then buy the the product and then relax my hair mm. and at I think two years later, if, I, if, my, if my memory serves me correctly, I stopped relaxing my hair. Um, and I came to that decision because it was very, one, it was just not cost effective mm-hmm. to keep buying the treatment. And also, um, I, wa- I just wanted to have my natural clothes back. Yeah, And so we stopped treating the hair. Um, and I chose to transition rather than do the big chop okay. because I was scared of just having no hair whatsoever. I love my hair. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah. And when I was four, 13, 14, I started my natural hair journey and it worked. For some people, some people, it doesn't work. It, people are different. Um, some people will go for the big chop and it will, the, the hair will grow. But I, I chose that route because I was scared and I mean, it worked okay. the whole, um, just letting all the kinky hair come out okay. and then have the, the relaxed bits fall out, you know, during the process. So okay. yeah, that's basically my story.
0: Were there any studies that uh, you did to help your transition stage?
1: Um there were some styles yes. Um what I did is we just continued having cornrows in um because it's well the school I went to it was like school policy for you to have your hair plaited. Okay. So um I I had cornrows and I would remove them every four weeks. 4 weeks, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. About 4 weeks I have a fresh um redo of the condoms right
0: and during the holidays
1: i would put braids in
0: okay. um yeah okay so did you see a difference between your hair before the relaxer and after the relaxer as you started to go natural what differences did you notice in your hair if any well i
1: i did notice that the hair that grew um well what they call the growth
0: mm-hmm. was
1: coarser hair mm-hmm. Mm-hmm as compared to what it was before relaxing Mm -hmm. Uh, when i relaxed it it was straight very nice and straight it was easy to comb and that was the nice thing about having relaxed hair other than being cool (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: so yes that was the main difference that my hair was coarse
0: okay yeah So, obviously, so now your decision to have a weave and to relax your hair was partly, partly, um, it it came from you, but also a part of it was the influence of your peers and influence of what was happening around you. So your decision to then be natural and to embrace your curls, what obstacles did you face in that? Were your peers supportive or was it something you just did for yourself where did you turn to for help how influential was youtube loads of questions take your time
1: yes (laughs) okay so in those days i wasn't really into youtube like I, i didn't watch anything um hair related on youtube so i would say it was more of the people that were around me i had a couple of friends that were that had um relaxed hair and I just thought it was cool and nice, you know, and um I did it for for me and also just to be socially acceptable, like you know you want to you wanna ride on the bandwagon I mean, as a twelve year old there's so many things that are happening in school um yes, and it wasn't even hair with it wasn't hair related anyway
0: um there was also okay, what about the desire to be natural? Did, how influential was YouTube in that, in your hair journey? Where did you go to for advice? Where did you go to for for just direction on how to to embrace and to manage your hair and get to the point where you're confident with it? Was confidence ever an issue? You know, just, just how, what was the experience? Okay, so
1: from, okay, so I'll start from the, the journey of, you know, um, transitioning to, to be to have natural hair uh i did not i didn't i wasn't in i didn't turn to help to youtube as i had said before um i wasn't really into youtube i didn't watch any videos i didn't seek any guidance on hair videos on youtube it was just i just took the decision i wanted to have my hair natural and My mom and I then just started doing protective styles Mm -hmm. Um, for the hair, and to get the treated hair, you know, for it to grow out, basically. Yeah. Um, YouTube came in, I would say, fairly fairly recently. Okay. Uh, Say about about four, three, four years, Um, and also social media, um, like Instagram. And What's largely, yeah, Instagram. I do, I follow this, there's a um, a girl who I follow on Instagram, her name is Tadiwa and she um, had her hair um, and she, uh, she relaxed her hair and decided to go on a natural hair journey. She did the big chop, if I'm correct, but I, I'm not sure. Um, but her her hair journey has inspired me and she's inspiring other young girls um, using her platform on Instagram to show that natural hair is beautiful. You do not necessarily have to wear your hair straight to be acceptable. And that's the nice thing about millennials nowadays and the influence of technology. Um, It's that now voice our opinions, we can now voice where we stand, not only on hair issues, on issues pertaining anything that's happening in the world, be it a natural disaster, be it politics, anything. And and that's what I I, I really cherish is that we have the opportunity to inspire people around the world, you know, just by our, our social media platforms.
0: Right So how do you feel Having listened to the last two episodes that we did And how yes. the Afro came about And how yeah. people that today are in their 60s, 70s, 80s Were mm-hmm. 40 years ago In exactly the same situation that you're in They were they were being activists essentially They were inspiring each other They were inspired by one another they, It started off in the late 1950s And then it became a thing by the late 70s, early 80s, where it was seen in the media, it was in TV programs, it was in the movie, the Afro was everywhere. Hearing what you're saying now and having listened to those episodes, do you see any parallels between what you are doing, what your generation is doing and what their generation did?
1: Yes, I do see parallels and I see... um, uh, sort of like like similarities between the two eras uh-huh. where they were using their voices their activism through tv through um i guess magazine articles whatever means they could use to show their identity and to um to show that black is beautiful yeah. um and you fast forward to the 21st century where Young people are using social media to inspire um, people around them to wear their natural curls, and that is a beautiful
0: thing to see. Yes, between the two. Okay, but my thing now is, and Nana raised this in um, last week's episode, where she mentioned that the ball, the some, somebody somewhere dropped the ball because for your grandparents and their generation to have been fighting the same battle you are now fighting, something went Mm -hmm. wrong somewhere. So how do we, how does your generation build on what they did first time around and make sure that this isn't just a trend. It isn't just something for now. And if somebody Mm -hmm. came up with this, a magical relaxer that doesn't damage your hair,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: would we still feel the same way? Would these influencers still hold on to and embrace their curls? Would Mm -hmm. we all just jump onto the new next trend? I guess I'm just trying to understand, is this about identity? Is it about trends? Is it about what is it about exactly? Because we've been here before, 40 Mm -hmm. years ago. We're here yeah. back here again, but how do we make sure that this is an ongoing thing? Unfair question to ask you, but <laughs> it's something that we all, we, I'd like us to be thinking about this. How do we yeah. not take steps yeah. backwards? You know, because yeah. I, I'm, I love social media and its ability to inspire. Yes. I, I love social media and its ability to make the world a smaller place. But I mm-hmm. also am wary of social media's ability to give everybody a microphone and everybody a platform. And not every bit of advice that is out there is actually factually correct. So how do we how to, how do we make sure that we don't regress? What's your take? You can only tell us what you think. Okay,
1: so my take on a lot, a, a lot of what you um, have mentioned and, what, and looking back on the episodes from this week. Um, yes, someone did drop the ball at some point in the history of the Afro because we see that a lot in those times um, uh, the weaves came in, uh-huh. looking back at the episode on the weaves. Mm-hmm. And people were now influenced to then wear their hair straighter
0: mm-hmm.
1: um based on say you want people want to get a job in an office job, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. And what was um socially acceptable was to have your hair straight. Mm-hmm. And that's what influences or influenced um women in particular to then opt for um straight hairstyles. Um, that the that according to a Western standard, and looking back on on la, um, last week's episode, it's clear that there is a shift um, of the Afro. Well, there's a shift in in the way hair is is perceived from um, a Eurocentric perspective mm-hmm. to a more Afrocentric perspective, and um, I think. In order for us not to backslide, for lack of a better term, uh-huh, uh-huh. see, I'm being very, careful. I'm being very careful with
0: my words, because <laughs> um, we don't. It's not a space of judgment. It's just a space of yeah, difficult conversations. However, it's always with grace. Yeah. We do want, we do want to progress. We we do want to do better.
1: Yeah, and I mean, looking at what has been happening in the past um, five years for example, just roughly five years, we fast track to the now, um, we find that um, in America, a lot of um, laws, and I'm now stepping into the office of the lawyer, <laughs> um, are a lot of laws are, are, are geared towards reforms in terms of discrimination against natural hair and natural hairstyles like Afros, Conros, and dreadlocks. And I'm going to reference um, an article I read on www.marketwatch.com,
0: mm-hmm.
1: where um, employers, schools, and clubs that were discriminating against or that discriminate against um, natural hairstyles can get a two hundred thousand fine. And this was um, legisl- or rather, a um, a law that was put in place by um, New York law, um, the New York City Commission of Human Rights which released legal guidance um, that protects um, and enforces um, action against, you know, racial discrimination on the basis of natural hair. So now you see more women in society are now wearing their natural clothes to work in a natural, you know, in a, in particular those that have office jobs. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. In a professional capacity.
1: Yes. And I think that's just one of the many ways that we can try not to back to go back to where we started
0: you know so so then um social media is lovely but social media is Mm -hmm. also very influential so again let's just go back to this cream that hasn't been invented that could be invented you never know yeah there's a cream a lot of people (laughs) seem to think Oh, but managing my natural hair is hard. Managing my natural hair is uh, is difficult. These are terms I hear a lot in my day job. Mm-hmm. I get people who will come and they'll say, "Oh, it's hard. It's expensive. It takes a lot of product. It does this. It does that." So, what happens? What can we do? What can your generation do to make sure that? You love yourselves enough to never compromise. Because I, I'm pro-choice. You know, I like the idea that we can wear braids. I like the way that we can wear wigs. Yes. I like the fact mm-hmm. that we can wear any kind of wig. Like I personally wouldn't color my own hair. Um, I would wear a colored wig. So my my custom unit is is custom colored. It's colored the yes. way. I want my hair colored. Um, I'm going to get another one made, and it's going to be custom colored. So to me, wigs are a form of expression. They're a form of protective styling, as are braids, as are weaves that are installed correctly. I think it's important for people to understand that anything that you do to manipulate your hair can be protective Mm. as long as you're going to a professional that is well-trained. Um, but then what are you guys doing to ensure that even if somebody comes up with this magic cream, your desire is still, no, we are going to embrace our natural selves because part of what I think happened, um, part of what I think happened is because people were given options like extensions They were given options like relaxer cream, like the Jericho, the Jericho, the curly perm came in before the straight perm those options became available to people. And so because natural hair is difficult and it is hard or it's expensive and it takes a lot, they opted for that because they felt it was, quote unquote, easier. Yeah. What needs to be happening in order to make sure that there is that mental shift towards ourselves? Because we cannot say we have self-love if we still believe that our hair is difficult to manage.
1: Mm. Your thoughts? I think think I'm with you on pro-choice. So I believe that um, it should be a personal um, choice to find what works for the individual. Mm -hmm. And in that way, um, people one can then find a way to grow their hair and to enjoy their natural hair journey is to find what works for you
0: so whose responsibility is that? is that the responsibility of because you see my my thing is the reason I like to bring this up is um, there are a lot of people who have negative experiences of trained hair professionals. So they go to salons and they have a negative experience. So they then rely on social media. They rely on on um, the experiences of other people to guide them as a way of understanding their hair. Now, uh, the upside of that is it's, it's believable. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's within everyone's reach. It's like, oh, okay, she's doing that so I can do that. The downside of that is a person who deals with primarily their own hair doesn't understand hair as a standalone yeah. concept. They understand their hair. So, what do you think needs to change, especially because you experience you experience hair in 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 South Africa and in Zimbabwe? What do you think hairstylists or people who work professionally within this industry need to do and need to be aware of in order to help their clients and in order to help um, Black women, you know, African women, South African and Zimbabwean women, and by extension all other Black women? Because we all travel nowadays; people go all over the place. You know, you've got Americans who visit South Africa. You've got people who go. People travel. People visit. If mm-hmm. I'm sitting somewhere and I want to get my hair done, I should be able to do that. What should a hair, hair professionals be aware of and what should they be doing from your perspective to make sure that they do their part in making sure that our hair in its natural state is not reduced to nothing more than a trend, a passing trend to be discarded in about like, 10 years time when something new comes up.
1: Yeah. I think hair hair practitioners should um, take the time to explain to their clients what the hair care process entails um, and they too must also get, um, must be experienced to such an extent that they can advise their clients how to properly take care of their hair because I remember okay I have a friend who went to a salon and this just happened like this weekend and she wanted to have a particular hairstylist do her hair and well the the lady was not around so another lady did her hair and her experience was horrifying she says that the person was pulling on her hair was just being rough with her hair, and she said she, it was very it was a very nasty experience. So I think hair care practitioners should they should be aware of the needs of their clients. They should be sensitive to um, their clients. They should be. I think they should just be trained adequately trained on how to give proper hair care to their clients.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we see the shade in that. Um, Technically speaking, <laughs> though, I think most salons are supposed to only employ people who are trained. Now, I'm not saying this is what happens all the time. I know for a exactly. fact it doesn't. World over, I know for a fact that it doesn't always happen that way. There are a yeah. lot of brilliant salons out there. And so if anybody listening knows any brilliant salons, please tell us. Tell us so we can continue to share the people who are doing their job right. However, I don't have to step in and say, as a person that works in the industry, I think some of what happens a lot, which we need to address and we need to sort out, is the issue of of payment and the issue of of paying. Um, Clients tend to want to not pay a fair price. Therefore, in order to successfully um, manipulate natural hair without it hurting, and in order to braid without... Um, blow drying people's hair Um, because that's what a a, a proper natural hair styling should not blow dry your hair in order to braid it. Mm. Okay, I'm just going to stick my neck out and and say that. Okay. (laughs) A natural hair practitioner should not be using blow dryers in order to safely manipulate. They should be trained. The training is teach them how to braid without blow drying. Now, if you want your hair blow dried because that's what you want, that's very separate from natural hair care training. And they are, the people I know who are well trained, they don't blow dry their customer's hair. Mm-hmm. It's a process that takes a long time because there's things you have to be doing to the hair in order to make sure that you not damaging the hair, you're not damaging the scalp that's a level of skill and technique that yeah, is not always properly, adequately compensated so I think as clients we also have a responsibility to understand that if a hairstyle is going to last you six weeks look at it this way, how much does it cost to go to a hair salon in South Africa every single week to get your hair styled hmm
1: Right, on an average, about uh, about three hundred rand.
0: Right. So, if you're now having somebody spend seven to eight, nine hours doing the job the correct way, yeah, because to 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 blow dry someone's hair and braid it four hours, you're done. Mm. Right, unless they've got super thick, super long hair. Most times in four hours, you can blow dry and braid somebody's hair. Now, if you're going to be expected to work and to successfully put away someone's hair and it takes you eight, nine hours, I'm not sure how it's fair for the person giving you this level of skill to to be paid slave labor, almost like there is an attitude that because people assume that stylists are not educated it's okay to look like a million pounds or look like a million dollars but only spend less than that Mm. want champagne lifestyle on a lemonade budget oh yes that's something that also needs to change so not only do stylists need to do their job well but Uh, clients need to understand what you're paying for and the fact that you're actually paying to have six weeks of your hair being put away properly. Mm -hmm. Pay the person adequately. And also, if you're going to proper salons, you should be able to ask. I'm surprised that your friend sat there and allowed herself to have a horrible experience and then pay for it. You (laughs) know. (laughs) We should now be at the stage where we are not doing that because by by doing that we are perpetuating and i know we were all raised to be very polite and to be you know um good can't sit Mm -hmm. there and have a horrible experience and not just say actually this is really uncomfortable this is really painful i'm going to pay for an hour's worth of time because i was here for an hour and I need to take my hair out and I'm leaving. Because the more you do that, the more salon owners will seriously, or the more stylists will take the need for continued training seriously. Because I'm gonna call out some people, you know, not all stylists keep investing in their education and in their understanding, and they should.
1: Yes, and, and rightly so. Yeah.
0: Okay, we're gonna to have to stop now because you're in a noisy place and this is gonna come through.
1: Oh, can yeah. you? Yeah, sorry.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's quite loud.
1: Okay. Um, okay, I'm in a different um, place. Can you hear anything?
0: Yeah, that's sound. Nice. Okay. I'll have to cut that out. Okay. okay. All right, so, okay, we've, this has been very interesting. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how far we've come but i think as a, as a as a millennial voice would you say for your generation natural hair is tied into your identity is it tied into into your blackness is it tied into your africanness or is it just not that much of a big deal
1: okay for me my hair is a big deal to me and I didn't realize it when I heard, when I was told that my grandmother had this um, statement that she used to say. She said, hair is a barometer of beauty. Mm -hmm. So my hair encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses my femininity. It encompasses the way I, my beauty as a woman. Mm -hmm. It encompasses my identity um, as an African um it encompasses who i am as a person right and my choice to wear my hair curly and to wear my natural curls is a statement of that this is who i am and i am content and happy with who i am as an african as a beautiful african woman
0: Oh, and I think on that note, we are going to say uh, it's been lovely to have you with us. Hopefully we can have you again. It it will be an absolute delight to be uh, back. Yes, it's, it's been interesting. You've raised a lot of issues. Um, if, if you know of any places in South Africa or in Zimbabwe that you want people to be aware of, please let us know. And then we will tag them on Instagram. We'll take them on our socials so that other people traveling to these places or people living in these areas can also be aware of great experiences that are available and that are there to be had. We're going to stick to just sharing information of that which is useful. Um, But then also, I think, remind your friends, hey, guys, you're welcome to walk out of a chair. If the stylist isn't doing what you want, if the person that you want isn't available, please hold off. Yeah. hold off. Let's not continue to perpetuate things that we really shouldn't be tolerating anymore in our day and age.
1: And, you know, the sad thing is, in this instance, this person went, um, oh, this was now another friend who um, wanted to have her hair done by a particular stylist, and that person was not there. And so what happened was um, the, the, the person who, okay, someone in the salon said, oh, I'm that person. So that person said, oh, okay, no, um, I can do it. And this person was w- led into reasonably believing that she was being done by this particular person. And yet the actual person she wanted to get her hair done was not there. And, you know, she texted her friend and said, hey, this person that is doing my hair, she's like, she's hurting me. She, she was, in, in essence, she was not happy with the person that was doing her hair and then my friend says to her no but that doesn't sound like the person that does my hair she is absolutely fabulous and good and so you know it's also this thing of jealousy in this business I don't know but yes what you're saying is very very correct you have the power to tell them what you're feeling if you're not happy
0: tell them it's, yeah, it's a desperation that is born out of quite a number of factors. But, hey, we yeah. started to talk about it. We we keep wanting to have salon owners. So if you're a salon owner and you're listening, we would like you to come on and defend some of the things we hear being said. Some of the accusations, be careful. We've approached a few so far. They've said no. Um <laughs> (laughs) we're not going (laughs) to we won't give up because obviously if we want to heal we're going to have to call out certain things and then we all have to do our part as clients as stylists as owners as product manufacturers we all have a part to play in making sure that the legacy we leave for our children is a much better one than the one we currently have Mm -hmm. yes that is so that's why the fireside is open to everyone and and that's why it's a fireside there's room for everyone at this table. but on that note, we're going to say goodbye to Mufaro.
1: It was lovely having uh, um
0: being on this podcast, sorry in <laughs> my English that's all right. Lovely to have you and we're glad you, you could make time out of your busy schedule to come and join us today. We miss Nana, but she should be back next episode and we've got a very good episode for you, good listeners. We've got an interview with one fabulous lady who's had um, experiences with hair transplants. For those of you who are suffering hair loss or who've experienced traction alopecia, you might want to listen into to this one. And for those of you who might not yet have experienced traction alopecia, you might want to listen to this just so you know what to be on the lookout for. So till next episode, bye. Bye.